Today on the Stronger Business Podcast, we have the founder of PodFest, as well as a Guinness World Record holder. Please welcome to the Stronger Business Podcast, Mr. Chris Kremitzos, and our hosts, Josh Melton and Chad Brown. Stronger Business Community. Man, we got something special for you today. We have got the type of guest we have never had before on this podcast. Now, he's a speaker, he's a consultant, he's an author, he's a producer, he does all sorts of different types of media events, but that's not what's so special. We have, for the first time ever, on the Stronger Business Podcast, a Guinness Book World Record holder, not one but two for the first time ever. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Uh, Chad and Josh, thanks for having me. That was probably one of the best intros I've ever had. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, obviously, we got to talk about that first, because I don't even know if I've ever met a Guinness Book World Record holder before, much less had one on the podcast. I got a lot of questions about how this stuff works. But first of all, tell us how this came about, what you hold records in, and and share some info, man. So the record was inspired by COVID in that uh, we do live events. Um, that is my background. That is my company. It's uh, my company. The parent company is called Cutting Edge Events. So we do a lot of events. PodFest is the one we're most known for. Um, and I remember talking to a good friend of mine saying, I want to get into virtual events, but I'm really scared. And I want to be very clear. The reason why I'm scared about virtual events is PodFest is known for creating an experience. So I wanted to create that same experience virtually. So I was scared because in order to do that, there's a lot of things you got to figure out to make that happen. Anyways, my buddy goes, well, while you're at it, why don't you try and break a record? And I'm like, oh, you're so funny. He goes, you're always telling people go big. Why don't you go big and call up the Guinness World Records and see if they would certify that um, virtual event. I did. Uh, at first I said no. And then the next day I was like, you know what, let me just, you never know. Let me send out an email. And they said, you know what, we're virtual now and we're looking for new categories. This is perfect. If you could uh, get 5,000 people to participate over a week's time and you have to verify all these different ways, we will uh, create something for podcasters. And then that's when we crowdfunded that Um we crowdfunded that idea to our community, which is a big part of that story. The community bought in first, wasn't like some harebrained scheme. Once the community bought in, the gentleman that helped me with, who is our CEO now, Andrew, I remember him saying to me, this is like trying to build an airplane while you're still in the air and making sure like the plane comes together before you hit the, the ground. Like, And I said, you know what? That That's as perfect as you could describe it, trying to build an airplane while you're in the air. So we did it. Uh, we accomplished it. And my favorite feedback, the record was the cherry on the top. That's awesome. But that's not what I really enjoyed. What I enjoyed is everybody was like, this felt like PodFest in person. And the hallway chatter, we were able to duplicate everything. And the reason is we didn't follow any blueprints from other people um, because everybody was doing the same thing. And I knew we would get tunnel vision by following what everybody else was doing. Instead, we followed what was in line with our cultural guidelines as a community. And then a year later, we broke our very own record to prove that it wasn't a fluke. Like this was this is a community, not just because of COVID, it got created. 
So that was, um, yeah. it was awesome. And it was a, it was a great learning experience. So the record's actually, you know, right there. Yeah, yeah, visual evidence of the record right behind Chris. This is awesome. Well, Chris, let's get into a couple of things, man, as far as in where your level of expertise is. You have put on thousands of events in your career. You've built this community, which, by the way, as far as PodFest goes, I've had people for the last several years since me and Chad got in the podcast, they're like, hey, are you going to PodFest? Hey, are you going to PodFest? So they're like, you've created this movement. Like people are going after this thing, you know, and it's, it is not just like I'm going, it's like, I'm asking my buddies if they're going to. So it's crazy what you've built with that, with the community and in the event, you said something there just a second ago, me and Chad have said for a couple of years with doing stronger business summit is we're like, Hey, it's not a conference. It's an experience. Like that's, that's what we're, we're going for. Um, so I'd really like to get into, you know, how do you create these events that, or again, they're not just not a boring business conference. Now, this is an experience. And like you're saying too, man, you're rolling it, make it making a virtual event still an experience. I'd love to pick your brain and get your expertise on that. Cause I know some of our you know, listeners, they're like, we want to do some events for our businesses that help us strengthen our community, our client base, whoever it may be, so that we can, you know, give them a great experience that keeps them coming back. Um can you tell us how you launched PodFest and how you grew that and build that into a community, which again, at this point, people are like, they're inviting their friends, they're, they're, people are talking about it. It's not just some boring business conference. It's something people are going back to year in, year out and inviting their friends to. So yeah, PodFest has become a tour stop for anyone that's in podcasting, considering podcasting or looking into podcasting. And the, the really important thing to understand is our origin story. So that really goes into what makes it so unique. PodFest was born out of a meetup of 13 people. And we had a guest speaker talking about podcasting. And then I went home, told my wife, and she wanted to start a podcast. I want to start a podcast. A bunch of us want to start a podcast. But how do you go from 13 people to 2,000? That's, that's, the, that's the, the unique thing about our story. Hmm. I took that gentleman, his name is Steve Cherubino, and I said, hey, man, at the time, I realized there was a huge opportunity in on-demand audio. Um, one of the fun facts about podcasting is it lagged behind on-demand video by about five to six years. So imagine 2013, YouTube's already mature. Influencers are making money on YouTube. Podcasting, there's nothing going on. It's crickets. There's a handful of people. Um, and there's, there's more listeners than creators, which was really unusual. So I had to ask myself, like, what the heck is going on here that this is such a lag. And one of the problems, uh, with podcasting, uh, in order to listen to podcasting back then you needed a Bluetooth enabled phone, which a lot of people didn't have, but then you needed it to enable with your car and you don't trade your car in every year. You trade it in your car every eight years. So that was the five to eight year lag of, people adopting podcasting. So once I knew that information, I got into high gear and I said, listen, I, I think I could help a lot of people with this because there's this huge, um, this huge opportunity of listeners looking for creators. Uh, and that's when we did a bunch of meetups. I helped all these people get started. So to answer your question, I never uh, sought out to create uh, an association or, or a community. I did create a small community, but what I set out to do was help as many people as I can with this opportunity that fell in my lap. I was running a business community at the time called the Tampa Bay Business Owners. So I'm very familiar with running a community. 
And I said, how, how many people can I help? I helped hundreds by doing these little meetups all over the state of Florida. And then they all called me and they said, we have a problem. I go, what's the problem? They go, what do I do now? I launch a show. I go, just keep doing the show. <laughs> keep doing more episodes. What do you want from me? They go, no, we need help with this, 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 and this. So then that problem, I saw that there was an opportunity. So that's when I created uh, our Florida Podcast Association. And then they were all like, is there any way we could all get together once a year? And that's how PodFest was born. Now, I did make a promise to myself, and this is as a business person, this was an interesting promise. Prior to that, I had launched a lot of different things in the um, online space helping people, but I never took them big because I was afraid of going big because I didn't know about the expenses associated with doing things, uh, big hotels, convention centers. I said to myself on this one, I will let PodFest grow as big as the community wants it to grow. And then literally every year it went from 100 to 181. I could tell you that I could track the growth each year by number. Year three, 373, 496. Then we had 975 people. And then the year of COVID 2020, we were the only event that was able to get off. We had 2,000 registered attendees. Um, but it was all from word of mouth, servicing the community, trying to figure out what was it that they needed and how could I be better at providing it than anyone else. So I would say one of my other skill sets, besides listening to the community, is programming. I'm very good at programming content and very good at recognizing the talent that's in my community. In other words, most people discount the attendees. They don't realize that your richest talent pool is your attendees and your community. That's awesome, man. So in those early days of, of starting this community and starting this um, event, how did you fund it? Was it funded through sponsors? You just fund it out of pocket and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to absorb these costs until I can grow it to the size I need to. Um, was it through ticket sales? PodFest was the first event I ever did where sponsors called me out of the blue to sponsor. So I knew I was onto something, if that makes sense. Because yeah. back yeah. then there was no other, there was one other conference. So when someone calls you out of the blue and says, I want to sponsor, I was like, okay, I'm bringing together a value proposition here. It doesn't exist in the marketplace. So that was, I queued in. So that was a, a fortuitous for us. But I also was very fortunate as I ran a business community of business owners. I had 300 active uh, business owners that were paying dues at Tampa Bay business owners. So then after doing that for close to a decade, I sold that. And then th those profits helped me for the next two years grow PodFest without having to worry about money and really servicing the community. So then I just focused on the community and our revenue model is trade show booths, meaning we sell 10 by 10, 10 by 20 booths. Uh, and then attendee tickets. We usually have three tiers of tickets. An A, a B, and a C. So A would be the lowest cost. A B would be, you know, think about like a VIP tier. And then a C, the, the bigger, the most expensive one would be some kind of industry pass because uh, we also service the industry of podcasting. And, um, and then we have a newsletter. All that has, now we've got other things. But in the early years, maybe we even had two ticket choices. I, I wouldn't say we had three, um, but it's always good to have three because people, make decisions on where they think they fall into that category. Yeah, absolutely. As far as in creating those, the ticket structure for this, again, so you know, me and Chad put on any event, we're like super interested in all these things. But what was the, for somebody who's interested in attending PodFest, what are like kind of the ticket ranges? What's the the lower entry level? And then what's like, hey, this is the ultimate VIP type thing. What are the, the price ranges start at and what do they get to and what's included in those? So it's changed every year. So I'll give you last year's ticket structure and I'll give you this year's ticket structure. 
So last year, the creator passes usually start around the 200 range. Um, that, that was our lowest pass. Then we had what we call a VIP pass. Usually VIP pass, general rule of thumb, is it's 2.5 times your base cost of your ticket. Uh, usually that's what they say that you could, you could, so let's say if you had a $200 pass for your creator, your base, uh, 2.5 would be something like 549, 599. And then we had what we call our inner circle pass. And that's usually, um, somewhere around two times the VIP. So that's like 995, $1,000 ticket. This year, uh, we actually have an expo pass, um, and that's only $99. So we're actually lowering our ticket costs. Uh, we have a, um, the creator pass starts at, it's in the 200s now. When I say start, we always start at low in airline pricing as it goes uh, closer to the event. This uh, has become, closer to the event. Yeah. this has become accepted practice, but you have to understand 10 years ago, very few people would do this. We've always, I've always done this because it's what works. Uh, and then we have what's called a um, PodFest Pro Pass. And those are for the largest podcasters in the world. They average 5,000 or more per episode, and those tickets are uh, $2,000, um, but they're very specific. In other words, we're solving a very specific need for those individuals this year, and uh, it's a very uh, unique opportunity for us to service a market that no one else is, is servicing. Is most of your attendees uh, or ticket holders, are they local to the that area region of Florida, or is it mostly the, the attendees throughout the country? Yeah, country. I have to write embassy letters every year to people out of certain African countries, or if they're coming out of the uh, Middle East, there's certain things you have to go through. So we have people from all over the world. Uh, 30% come from the Southeast. So Georgia and Florida count for 30% of our attendees. The rest come from literally all 40. Uh, I think we've hit 48 states, depending on the year. One year, I want to hit all 50 at one time, but usually they're all states, the U.S., North America, Mexico, but we get a lot of Europeans because remember these conferences, there's not a lot of them to go to. Only now is there one that's servicing the European market. So PodFest would be the closest on this side of the coast if they wanted to come mm -hmm. to an event. That's awesome, man. Now, the, this opportunity and need like chased you, it sounds like. <laughs> you're like, you do a meetup and then people are like, you're helping people. They're benefiting from your, you know, from your teachings and what you're instructing them to do. So they're like, hey, can you build something else for us? Hey, can you build something else for us? I think it's really cool how you've done that. A question from last year to this year for PodFest. So you basically created a lower level of entry into the event, uh, kind of cut the ticket price in half to get a, it was, was the reason for that? Was it an economic reason for it? Was it just to create more opportunity for more people to attend? What led you to make that decision from last year to this year to create a lower level of entry? Great question. One, we want more people to experience PodFest. So we believe if we could lower the cost, we'll be able to get people into our funnel to experience PodFest at the creator levels or higher. Two, if you buy a $99 ticket and you're coming, then we have an opportunity to give you really compelling reasons why you should upgrade before the conference shows up. Three, the Expo Pass allows us to have tons of people interacting with our Expo exhibitors, which is an area we really want to grow that base for many reasons. Obviously, revenue is one of the main ones, but we also believe that our Expo Hall exhibitors, if you have someone paying four, five, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 for a booth, it's, it's going to sound very um, odd for a lot of people, but 
that's probably one of the most educated people you could talk to about a topic because they're spending a decent amount of money to be at a conference. And what we have found is some of the greatest brains are standing right behind those uh, tables, those walls. So we want to encourage our community to talk to those individuals because I talk to them. That's how I learned what I'm doing. Uh, and that is the industry of podcasting. So we want to place a much greater emphasis on the expo hall as a place of education. So that's, that's uh, to answer your question, that's what that is. And then um, this is a very, do you, do you mind if I get very business focused, like on, on another reason? Absolutely. But Absolutely. Inside, Absolutely. Hey, Chris, this is a stronger business podcast. Do it. Well, this is, this is inside cool. baseball on an event. So one of the main costs you have in an event like uh, PodFest or any event in a hotel is food and beverage. So we have a six-figure plus guarantee, meaning we have to spend a, a sizable amount on food and beverage. By by creating an expo hall pass, the other the other big expense is your audio visual expense, meaning every camera guy, every every room has to have a separate thing, right? Well, in the expo hall, my expenses are fixed. The uh, exhibitors pay for their booths. We might have one or two mini stages in there. And by me adding an expo ticket, I could facilitate education in a fixed cost environment. If those tickets last year, they were uh, creator passes, I would have to have like eight extra rooms of audiovisual, which might cost me an extra $40,000. Um, so I'm actually saving money and servicing my attendees even better by creating an expo pass where I could save quite a bit of costs um, as well as deliver. So a lot of times, sometimes you just got to relook at your model and say, okay, where can I excel and also save money? Because just, just because you're cutting back doesn't mean you're you're doing less than. You could actually do both, uh, up the quality and lower the price when you look at your model. And also it drives more people that want creator education to buy the premium ticket. Man, I love that. So you're saying like, this $99 ticket option, this is just getting people into the expo area, which again, the more people, like it's not increasing your cost because that's a fixed expense anyway, correct? That's right. I'm going to have an expo area. Expo boots are going to pay for what's called the pipe and drape. That's all the stuff that you see there. Yeah. And I'm going to add two um, trainings on the expo area. So that'll be on the show floor, uh, which helps me because that's more activity for the the exhibitor. So they're happy. So all that gets baked in and it creates that carnival-like atmosphere. I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. Because as we try to increase attendance at the Stronger Business Summit, we run into that food and beverage cost. Like it's uh, everybody that shows up is another 25 or 30 bucks. So our expenses rise with every attendee. So it starts to get challenging. You're right. You, you pay for space. You pay for audio and visual. You pay for speakers. You pay food and beverage. I mean, it it doesn't take much at all for an event to run $100,000, $130,000, like really quick, really fast, and then get higher from there for everybody that shows up. So it's interesting. I, I love that you've been able to make that work. Now, for the events for you, I'm curious, uh, as we're building things out, just trying to figure out our model, Are you do you look at the events as a profit center, or is it something you're just trying to break even on and to build the community and build relationships to benefit and other monetize in other ways? So I'm one of the rare people that the event is the profit model, which is highly okay. unusual and rare. And I don't recommend it because it's a very thin model. You could really look at what happened with COVID. Uh, and then you mentioned something. The thing I forgot to mention is we created a lunch and learn pass. So now if you wanted to upgrade your ticket for an extra $149, 
we have a lunch and learn where we have a specialty speaker that includes your lunch. So that offsets our food and beverage costs. Man, that's so good. And I guess you, you've been doing this for a minute. So I, I know one of the things Chad and I talk about a lot is, you know, hey, what went right this year? What, what went wrong this year? Like, what can we do to fix it? So you're able to consistently and continually find ways to improve the event and also to create more opportunities for, for profit. Because there's so many opportunities for expenses. They're all over the place. But weaving in new opportunities to just make profit, you know, create a new profit center where instead of it being a cost center, like no, there's just adding to it, man. It's just not costing any extra to add this revenue stream. I love that. Well, and you and um, one thing I will say to anyone that's a solo business owner, it's really important to have consultants or other people that have your back that could look at your model strategically. So I'm very fortunate to have an amazing business consultant that was a former Fortune one one hundred person that now is like help supporting me over the last years. And we, I helped him get started when he moved to Florida. So it's a very unique situation, but I can't take credit. His name is Mark Katz. He's a genius strategist. So he's the one that I was lamenting, like my expenses doubled since COVID and all these pressures. And he's like, well, let's look at your model. I always debrief. So I want to be very clear. Uh, there's never a year I don't, I brief and debrief every day, like uh, at, at these events before that constantly. But you ha having another person that is not held emotionally to what you're doing is so powerful because then he's like, well, why don't you separate the, the lunches? Well, we've never done that before. Well, why wouldn't you, you know? So it's good to have someone that's like, well, how are you going to be able to afford this? Cause since COVID the food and beverage minimums have doubled inflation yeah. has like destroyed. Uh, I know we all know this, but imagine if you were good doing a, a, an event my size with the fifty, sixty thousand dollars food and beverage minimum, and all of a sudden it's one hundred and twenty. Mm -hmm. It's it's an insane amount of um, uh, responsibility for your business to underwrite. So, I've been very grateful actually. This um, it's it's really helped us reinvent our model and be more creative. And I think it's going to service the community better, and everybody's going to be happier. And it's actually less. This is the first time I could say it's a lot less pressure on my end because of how we've been able to implement all of this change. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. So you talk about a lot uh, finding your 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 niche and really narrowing down who you're serving. Do you think that's been a tremendous uh, benefit in having these type of events because it is such a niche audience with podcasting versus what we do is business, Stronger Business Summit is are we? Do you think we're at a huge disadvantage for being able to grow something big or two thousand people because we're so broad? Uh, yes and no. So uh, having a niche, the beauty is you have you know where your lane is, and within that lane you can create. So we mentioned before this call, a good friend of mine, Jesse Cole, has the Savannah Bananas. Well, his niche is baseball turned on its head, right? So we know it's a sport <laughs> of baseball. Um, so. He took something and reinvented it. And now people that aren't even baseball fans are showing up. So stronger business, it is general. But if you create such a strong, compelling mission statement or experience, I think people will bring their friends to what it is that you're doing. And that'll grow over time. Now, the challenge is your worst enemy is other really bad business events because <laughs> you have to, you're not, you're not fighting against yourself. You're fighting the perception of a bad business conference I've been to uh, that now I have to 
you, you have to re-educate me why you're different. And I might still hear everything you're saying. It's like, yeah, that's what the last guy said to me. Yeah. So that's, that, that, that's what we're all fighting for, for PodFest. Luckily for me, there's only like two or three, really, there's only two conferences our size class, me and another group. So there's an A or B choice for people to make. So I own, uh, you mentioned this, people, when they talk podcasting, if they know PodFest, they will mention in a conversation. So we own a share of that space when you talk about that niche. Now, I can't just all of a sudden create a business conference within PodFest. I've actually tried incubating all kinds of stuff. So like, um, <laughs> it doesn't work because my audience is showing up for podcasting. So I could only, uh, one advice that I got from someone a long time ago, I said, what makes you so successful? And here's the problem. Entrepreneurs have a problem of thinking too much about a lot of great ideas. The people that make a lot of money, if you're looking to make a lot of money, do the same thing over and over again and just incrementally improve. Usually. I know we live in a different world today and there's a lot more opportunities where you could do it quicker. But um, my focus now is going an inch wide and a mile deep. So that's where we're building what podcasters need. Uh, PodFest Pro is the manifestation of that saying, wait, we have some of the world's largest podcasters. Why are we not putting them in the room together when they're at PodFest just to meet with each other? My past cultural norm was like, well, we're, we're, we're telling them that they're better than other people and we're separating them. Well, that's BS garbage in my head. That's not true. We're going to put them together so they could share the problems that only they have and commiserate with each other and collaborate. But then they're also going to be in the other rooms sharing with everybody else. So we have to always push back why we think certain things and look at how we could service our, our marketplace. I love what you're saying with that, Chris, because it's it's funny, man. Um, as entrepreneurs, me and Chad talk about it, we say it's the entrepreneur's curse is that we see these other opportunities, you know, the shiny object syndrome. By far, not even close for me personally. The two people, and probably Chad, the two people we've actually had on the, you know, uh, the podcast or summit space stage, more local. The two people by far are the wealthiest. They've stayed in one lane. They're like in one industry. They've been in it for decades, and they're killing it. And then we got lots of peers and friends that got their hands in several different things. They got their main thing, and then they have four or five other things they're dabbling with. So it, it's just, I think it's just sometimes boring to get incrementally better in one area that you're creating mastery in over time when it's like, but I could just scale over to this other thing and grow fast. You know, I gain knowledge faster theoretically because I'm learning more because I, I was stupid in the beginning versus being like, no, nah, I'm 15, 20 years into this thing. I'm already no, no more than most. And it's like, no, nah, stay in that lane and just get a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. And at some point in time, you know, you're the, the best there is, but it's just, it's such a hard thing for, for entrepreneurs. A true entrepreneur, it's very hard because a true entrepreneur sees opportunity. Now, I'll tell you who does really well in that space. I don't consider these people entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs can do well in that space, but they, by and large, they don't if we're generalizing, okay? The people that do well are what I call business builders. These are people that are operators and they could step into a business and literally take it from eight employees to 200 because they do what you just said. They tend to have a better pedigree at it. And you'll see people that are former executives go out, they'll call themselves an entrepreneur, they buy a business and then they build it. But they didn't start from scratch. The entrepreneurs are the ones that have that idea. They're willing to lose everything to make that idea a success. They're willing to starve. One month they have tons of money. The other month they have no money to buy, uh, you know, gas. But they're buying the course online to learn. <laughs> so I, I've I've lived with entrepreneurs. So I could tell you that 
that psychographic and how their mind works, it's wired very differently than someone that's slow and steady. And usually to me, the slow and steady people, there might be an entrepreneur streak, but I call them business builders. And they're very good at, like you said, doing the same thing for 30 years over and over. Whereas an entrepreneur likes to tinker and needs variety. It's just part of their DNA. They're very, entrepreneurs are highly creative. I've found out, by the way, uh, when you talk to a vast uh, group of small business owners, there's a high level of creativity. And unfortunately, uh, the world wasn't really built for them uh, because they don't take orders well. If you ever ask a franchisor, would they ever have an entrepreneur buy a franchisee? They'll tell you not, not, I, I would pay you to get rid of an entrepreneur. They want <laughs> a franchisor wants someone that just left corporate America that wants to follow the model to the T and mm-hmm. not even, not even ask or, uh, for improvements uh, because it just makes it easier when you have hundreds of units that have to be run the same way. An oh, entrepreneur can't do that. Entrepreneurs like putting up handmade signs out there and they got new ideas every week, you know. That's 100% true. I mean, you give me the the, the manual. Like, hey, here, this is what, this is a Starbucks. This is what you can expect. Here's what it's going to do for you. And I'd be like, why are, they doing, why are they doing this this way? This does not make any sense. I'd be trying so to- I would be doing the same thing. That's the first thing. <laughs> why, aren't we, why are we serving, you know, this or that? It's like, that's how it works, you know. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. That's so true. I love the the business builder side too, that terminology. Yes. It, it really frames the difference between entrepreneur and a business builder in the slow and steady. And I, and I, think, I think it's interesting because I, I find myself uh, kind of bouncing around in these different categories. And you hear, I mean, there's so much content information out there, especially with, with social media of you need seven streams of revenue. Your, your average millionaire has five streams of revenue or five different businesses, or you need different buckets. Uh, and then, but then you also hear like, you know, you just need to stay in one lane and focus and put your head down and do that and quit chasing the shiny objects and, and, but I know for me as a, as an entrepreneur, I struggle because I want to be really good at certain things, but I also want to learn new things and I want to chase other areas. And I think I've come to accept, I mean, even if I could make billions of dollars, I don't want to do one thing every day for the next 30 years. That's not like, no matter how much, I, how much of an expert I could be or how much money I can make. I don't think that fuels me as a person. I like the creativity. I like the working on different things, different days or different hours or different minutes and having somewhat of an expanded focus as I jump around. And that's, I think that's just what makes me happy is why I continually like go down that path. So you want lots of different challenges to conquer. Yeah. Versus conquering the same, you know. Yeah, the same. I don't, yeah, that's exactly that right. Sense. I don't, I don't, I don't, what I'm chasing, I think is the challenge and the creativity and the, honestly, the different experience of what happens as I change around in different businesses or trying to grow in different directions versus the monotony of the same thing every day, even though it's becoming exponentially more successful and getting exponentially better at what I'm doing. It's just not as fun. And I think I'm willing to trade fun for that next level of business. Instead of, I would rather have five five million dollar businesses than 100 million dollar business because i just think it's more gotcha. fun. yeah i get that man you're saying you'd rather be stressed than blessed is what it sounds like to me but, <laughs> uh, hey chris i got back to that curse i, I think it's a, yes, i think it's a problem it's a curse chad wants to know if there is a guinness book of world records category for best hair that's what he's been going for <laughs> 
he would just, he would win it for sure. He's he wants to. I think he said on a recent podcast with your buddy Larry Roberts that he was going to go. He was looking to, to get to the best hair in podcasting. That's what that, he was looking. He was shooting for. I, I can, I can in the see, good word. I can see the <laughs> I can see the award. It's like a silhouette of like uh, you know a, a guy with like beautiful hair. Like I'm not, I think I I am really intrigued. I haven't even thought about Guinness Book of World Records in a long time. Like I got so much I want to look up there. Like what's the most Starbucks ever been drinking a year? You know what's oh, that, yes, you what's got, that number? Yeah. Like, there's some things I think I could I could move the needle on there. I like when you set goals. You're setting goals that are achievable for you too. This guy drinks. We always in fact we're actually going to make this a soundbite in every episode, Chris. It's the the iced coffee Chad drinks. He can't drink warm coffee. He has to drink iced coffee because. Warm coffee, hot coffee would not make noise during the podcast. He he needs people to know when he's you know down in that iced coffee. Got to hear the sound of it. It's it's we want to be sponsored by Starbucks, obviously. Hey, switching gears just for a second because I, I want to go into a book that you wrote a few years back. But you had mentioned that you have a personal connection to our keynote speaker at this year's Stronger Business Summit, Jesse Cole. You're telling us a story right before we went live. Could share the connection and kind of the big like meaningful thing that happened in your life as a result of your relationship and friendship with, uh, with Jesse Cole and his wife. So Jesse came to PodFest in 2017. I don't remember, but I remember he came in his yellow tuxedo and we all were like, either the, like I could only tell you from the front of the room, seeing some guy in a <laughs> sea of people in a yellow tuxedo. And, and I think it was like a top hat. I'm pretty sure he had the whole get up yellow, even yellow sneakers. Um, I was like, either this guy's crazy or he's a crazy genius. But then he also sat next to like a scammy internet marketer. Like, you know, there's different types of people in the room. So he just picked like the wrong seat. He didn't even know the person he sat next to. But the one person he sat next to of all the people in that room, I was like, ah, you know, we kind of know that person. So uh, I went up to him. We exchanged pleasantries and he's like, you got to come see my baseball team. I love what you're doing. You get it. You're a promoter. It's all about the experience of community. So I was like, I got to see what he's building. Cause if he's, if he's got the guts to show up in any room, all yellow that don't even know what the heck he's doing, he's in Savannah. So as that was going on, my first daughter, her name is Sedona. And I wanted to name our second daughter Savannah and Jesse's team is the Savannah banana. So my wife and I had gotten a, a sonogram and we asked the lady to seal the results. So we didn't know if it was a boy or girl in an envelope. And I said to Katie, since we're driving up to Jesse, we're going to stay at his place. Uh, Jesse and Emily are amazing hosts. I said, I want to give him the results. And then he could tell us if we're having a boy or girl at the baseball uh, uh, stadium. Now, the two of you are, are entrepreneurs and you get how cool that is, right? Yeah, you absolutely. Have to, you have to look at it from my wife's perspective. <laughs> First off, she's like, how presumptuous are you to think you could just give someone the results and they're going to do something that day for you? So in her mind, I'm like, I'm like, Katie, if he's a promoter like me, this is like giving him like yes. the greatest gift. But she's yeah. like, don't you think it's a little presumptuous? So anyways, I was like, can you please trust me on this one? She goes, sure. So we got the sealed results. We don't know. And I go, Jesse, um, here are the results. If you want to do anything, I'd love it. If not, I understand. And he goes, Oh, great. You guys know what it is, right? I go, we don't know. We're going to find out. That's why I'm giving this to you. And he's like, Oh, this is the best. He goes, I'm going to do it up for you guys. It's going to be amazing. So then um, Katie's like, please, you don't have to, we don't want to put you out there. He's like, no, are you kidding me? This is like amazing. We'll start the show off with this, you know? So um, we get there 
not knowing what he has planned for us. So he has Katie, myself, and my my daughter Sedona run the bases. So I grab my daughter. We're all running. This is all on film, by the way. And when we get to home plate, the team unveils pink balloons under their shirts and they fly up and we realize we find out we're having a girl. And then my wife goes, by the way, so I just told you I was lobbying for the name Savannah. She had other names. After that experience, Katie goes, I think Savannah's a good name. <laughs> so I was able to- <laughs> So that my daughter Savannah's kind of has a, a tie to the Savannah bananas and uh, Jesse put the video up. The video was beautiful, um, had like 13,000 views within that day. I mean, he created such an experience and all the people in the stands are congratulating. I mean, we couldn't go anywhere without people congratulating Katie and I because he created a community amongst his fan base. Yeah. So it wasn't just like anyone where they just patch on the back. I'm talking like people were talking to us. And um, I'll tell you what a genius marketer he is. So it's in summertime in Savannah. And I thought uh, Tampa was humid. It's even like I, that, that's a, <laughs> it's a whole different level of humid there. Right. So we're sweating. And my two year old is like done within 10 minutes once we go sit up there. And Katie looks off to the left and there's a bouncy castle for people with their kids that are tired of sitting in the stand. I mean, he had thought of everything and it was only five bucks. He's like, He's thought of everything. He goes, so we took Savannah there. She had a, a Sedona there. She had a great time. I got to enjoy the game. I mean, it was just a, and then from a peer to peer level, seeing uh, Jesse and myself compare notes from time to time, just the promotions, you you could see it then that what he had was, is going to be a natural treasure, which it is now, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a foregone conclusion. Then he was still building everything and just working. And with COVID, I mean, his season might've gotten canceled, but he just kept going and reinventing the wheel. Oh man, I love it. And, and you know, this dude going into that experience. And so, yeah, your wife may be like, Hey, are you serious? Like, why don't ask him that? Like, that's going to put him in a bad spot. You're like, no, I promise. Like he'll get it. His fans first mentality and the core, core value they do on that. I just, I'm reading, you know, I've read his book fans first. I'm like, man, this dude is an absolute genius. And it's just because he's just living out who he is in his business, like wholeheartedly. But I got to know, Chris, while you were like up on stage, you're watching this guy with a yellow tux walk in that you don't know. And we understand how difficult it is to plan these events and all the details that go into it. I just got to know, were you sitting there thinking like, God, did I order a guy in a yellow tux? Is this part of the event? Is this- oh, no. Yeah, you you have no idea how many things were going through my head. Like, did, <laughs> is this is this some kind of prank that's going to get played out? And like everything that you could imagine while you're up there talking is going through your head. It's like, is he part of that marketing crew? And he was just by himself. He just happened to sit next to a crew. He didn't have like marketers, um, but he was so humble. And he's like, yeah, I'm just getting out. This is my first event. And I'm like, wow, how lucky are we to have Jesse as he's doing his thing? Always. He was taking notes on everything, yeah. learning. I mean, you know, that's what the work that people don't see that he's putting in. And now the momentum is, He's he's in full flow with his momentum. So now it's that inertia has built up momentum where it's just going to grow on itself. We had him on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and it would just, I mean, his level, of course, it's crazy time for him right now, right? He's just like, he's on this huge momentum swing. But the level of joy, humility, and intensity he brings all at the same time was for, we were like, man, he's like joyfully intense. It was a great experience for us with the podcast. He's intense when he wakes up. He like go, runs like, <laughs> I remember I was like, like I went outside just to stretch. I'm like, just getting up, maybe a little bit of coffee. And he just finished like five or six miles on the beach out there. And I'm like, what the heck? And it was like, he just, he's, he's on a mission. And I really uh, actually, um, 
he inspired us to really always look at our model and recreate things. So part of the lower ticket, I would say, is an inspiration of kind of how he looks at things. I will tell you one thing we do directly because of Jesse. Um, I remember him saying, what he goes, it's all about lowering the friction points so more people could come through your doors. And I remember that merch was one of our friction points. After I left, I went home, merch being T-shirts, books, whatever, with your brand on it. And in any event or brand, you actually want people to wear your T-shirts because that's a walking billboard for the rest of the year uh, out there. So one of my friction points is I buy really nice T-shirts. They cost us now they're probably costing us 10, 11, 12 bucks. I don't know, something like that. Uh, and we used to sell them for 20 and I would only sell half of the t-shirts. Then I had literally, I'd be losing thousands of dollars. So now what we do is we order a very tight order of t-shirts, meaning like if I have 2000 attendees, maybe we order 500, 600 t-shirts instead of a thousand. Okay. And then we allow the, the attendees to name their price. So they could name whatever price they want for a t-shirt. And then we sell out within the first uh, 36 hours. Now, I have staff that, because uh, remember, we have to hire like an event planner for all the finishing work, even though we have a small team of five for on-site assistance. Every year without fail, event planner will say, well, why don't you just charge 20 bucks and make money off the t-shirt? What they don't realize is that touch point, that signal that you could pay whatever you want tells people that PodFest is not about the money, it's about the community. And that is like the Costco $1.50 hot dog. Like the moment that that is not there no more, they know that there's something missing in the culture. So there's always these signals in brands and communities. For us, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm associated with PodFest, people will be able to name whatever price they want for a t-shirt. And do people pay a dollar for a $12, $13 t-shirt? Absolutely. But do some people pay $50 for a t-shirt? Absolutely, yes. Does it even out? No, we still lose a little bit of money. But the key is, I don't have storage for t-shirts. My wife's not angry at me for bringing five boxes of t-shirts. <laughs> and now the girls are trying to build in the middle of the living room. And I'm happy because my community is happy that they're wearing a t-shirt because now it has a different meaning when they're wearing the PodFest shirt and also has a different meaning when they're telling a friend to attend our conference. Oh man, that, that is so good, Chris, because you have tied so much more emotion and positive emotion into making that, again, reducing the friction point, making it to where anybody that goes to PodFest can leave with a t-shirt. If they have no money, they can name their price. No money, right. right? I mean, they can get something. and the the creating again the Jesse Cole fans first aspect. I mean, you're creating fans. Then you don't have attendees. It's like no, they're a fan. They walk out with a shirt. That's also a good memory, and it stays with them at their house. I mean, that's just phenomenal marketing and phenomenal. Say, forget marketing, community building. Because if you got a shirt, that means you're there. I think about the Tough Mudder, and there's you know lots of variations of this. But I'm like, if you finish the race, they hand you a beer and a shirt. They hand you a, a headband for how many years you've done it. I mean, it's just, it's all about the community, and it's such an amazing part of it because it makes you want to go back, right? It's like, I, I want to come back for next year's T-shirt or next year's headband. Jesse's really good at this one thing, and I think that this goes in with, with your book with starting ugly. And I will tell you this for me personally, a lot of times, I think Chad is much more, he's much better at this. I told him about before this podcast, I was like, this is low hanging fruit for me to make fun of you, Chad. I was like, Chad just started ugly from birth, but that's not true. And his hair is better than mine. So I got to say, he's, he's a pretty, pretty man, but he is good at just executing and taking action and like 
building the plane while we're in the air. And sometimes I'm like polishing the plane in my mind before we ever take off, right? But that I love that mentality or that concept of start ugly because it gets you in motion and gets you in from a standpoint of being able to get better faster than if you're trying to, you know, dot all the I's, cross all the T's before you're taking action. Because so can you tell us, Chris, a little bit about the book, what your really the, the the why behind it for you and then how you've seen it play out both in your career and in the career of people that you've helped influence through the things that you've done. So Start Ugly is a fictional story written about a lumber mill that is using uh, technology called an axe. And uh, basically, I was trying to teach people that you have to get out of your way to improve. And the story is about this really genius entrepreneur that uh, figures out that if you give your lumberjacks a day off a, a week, that they'll actually be stronger. And if you study the arc of their swing, you could actually get more efficiency out of it. And he becomes a very well-known person on this island called Manhattan Island. This is in the early 1900s. Uh, but then he has a, a young man that comes to work for him to head up his R&D. So he's the first lumber mill with an R&D to figure out how to make lighter, sharper axes and how to have lumberjacks be more efficient. Well, as this young man was riding his bicycle into work, he runs it up against a brand new telephone pole that they had just put on. Manhattan Island was the first place to have telephone poles. And his bike chain gets caught on the telephone pole. And as he goes into work, this young man by the name of Jeff uh, starts daydreaming about a bicycle chain rotating in the air, chopping at wood. And he's on the precipice of inventing something known as the bicycle chain saw. And unfortunately, his boss fires him because he doesn't see the future in this technology because it's not a lighter, sharper axe. Well, I can't tell you what the rest of the story is, but the whole point of the story is if you are not willing to start ugly, someone else will. And as they perfectly execute, they will eat your lunch over time. So it's uh, it's sold. Uh, we've sold thousands of these copies. Uh, a lot of consultants buy them for their clients when the client can't see that they're stuck. And uh, you know what's interesting? The first feedback people would say to me, oh, I've started my business and I'm okay. And I said, you know, it's funny you should say that because I wrote it for perfectionists that already have a business that do pretty well. <laughs> I go, I can see how Start Ugly, I go, I can see how Start Ugly is seen as something for someone to start up, which it is. Don't get me wrong. 100% it is as well. But I go, it's actually written for perfectionists because perfectionists always say, I'm not ready yet. It's not perfect. I need to wait, which I suffer from this. All of us do. And also, as we get successful in life, we're actually more afraid to get started. Uh, that's why Elon Musk is such a rare case study that he keeps improving and, and engineering on things that people didn't think were, were possible. So it's, a, it's such a unique and rare uh, individual. So this book is to help people um, be more like Elon, I guess. Yeah, the, the lesson is if you buy a book, you'll be like Elon. That's the brand promise. <laughs> um, but, but what I would, <laughs> and also it's been engineered. The book, actually, the title, uh, Start Ugly, is it was designed really nicely so people could put it on their bookshelves. So the book cover could actually rob you from your excuses, even if you don't read the book. I was like, what if someone gets a book and they don't even read the book? How can I make sure that they can implement change? And when you have the word start ugly staring at you, and I have it over my shoulder for reasons for me more than for you guys. So when I'm stuck on something, I'll just send out the email. Fine. That email is not perfect. The verbiage is not perfect. I might screw up the first one, but I'll perfect it on the next one. And then I just keep going. 
So I got a question for you there. I love the the start ugly side and and just begin and start. It doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, you can adapt as you go. And I love the the other side of the innovation. You just like the chainsaw, you got to constantly be innovating as a business owner and as a CEO and adapting no matter what size you are, or you'll get you'll get left in the past and your competition or your customers will 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 go somewhere else. Um when you talk about innovation for you and for our audience, what are you innovating to accomplish? Is it is it to serve your customer better? Is it to be more efficient? Is it to work less? Is it to make more money? What is the motivation behind the consistent and constant innovation that you pursue? So I, I already mentioned I have two daughters. So working more is out of the question. So I have a set amount of, uh, and conscious, I can't work more, but I won't see my daughters grow up. So for me, that's a non-negotiable. Don't get me wrong. I have friends that literally, their kids were three-year-olds one day. And then next thing you know, they're eight years old. And they've literally told me, yeah, I've missed five years of their life. And I think they're joking. They're dead serious. They missed those five years because they were working 80-hour uh, weeks. So for me, um, I want to innovate a more efficient work schedule. Uh, I want to innovate by delegating more work to my team. A lot of times I get stuck doing something that I should be delegating. So anytime I'm stuck, I'm like, who can do this? And, and let me send it off to them. Um, and for my business, uh, I want to innovate. How can I best serve them? So I think I mentioned to you guys that we created Pod Pro to help the, the top characters uh that have they have a lot of pain they have a lot of pain points like they have to deal with technology like dy dynamically add insertion and all these terms that most people don't know they deal with all day long and that's a pain point that they all have to compare but as i was getting ready for this call today i talked to someone that has a podcast that's doing a couple thousand um downloads a show and they have a different pain point they're almost there but they're not there so that could be an accelerator group so i'm always thinking about how can i innovate and create value for my community but the key on that, because I just mentioned my time is limited, when do I implement it and when is the timing right? So I would tell you, I'm one of the rare people that actually have seen 5,000 case studies of business owners through my desk because I've done I've done over 2,000 events for, for a business community. So I've seen thousands of case studies, like literally over a decade. And what I would tell you is uh, luck plays luck coupled with timing. And I do believe you make your own luck, but timing is probably the one factor you just don't, you don't always have control over, but that dictates how well you will do. Meaning some people just have really good timing. I'll, I'll give you an example of someone who has really good timing. Jerry Seinfeld has really good timing. He left his show when it was on top. Then he went to do stand-up. Then he created Comedians of Cars with Coffee on the internet. Most people don't know that's an internet show he did for like 15 years. Um, and he sold it for hundreds of millions to Netflix. That's because he has really good timing. So he knows when to do the next thing. That's a, that's, a, uh, that's a skill. If you develop your timing, you could do really well. So when I got into podcasting, I had developed my timing because I had already missed three opportunities under my nose as on-demand video and all these different platforms were growing. I mean, I was on YouTube within a year of it launching with 900 videos. I just didn't understand how to how wow. to strategically implement change back then. But I watched Gary uh, Vaynerchuk and a couple other peers like literally just go through the the go to the top, um, metaphorically speaking. So for me, when I saw on-demand audio, 
I understood the timing. So what created out of that wasn't a mistake. It was me understanding the timing and understanding that I could grow with this because I had been through that cycle already. A lot of people, Chris, in that type of scenario would feel like, man, I was, you know, at the same level as Gary Vaynerchuk in the, in the same season of YouTube and I missed it. You know, I missed the boat and and he capitalized. Here in for us in Georgia, you know, Coca-Cola has invented the Atlanta area. And so there's all these stories about, you know, Chad and my, our granddads and they had stock in Coke and they sold it and they could have been whatever. But it's that that narrative or that story that I missed the boat as if the boat only came once. Like there's only one boat that you could be on. And I love what you're talking about there is because of what you've done and, and be able to capitalize again on the whole podcast uh, podcast idea and what it's doing is that you didn't just feel like you missed the boat with YouTube or missed the boat on this. You knew like, hey, there's another ship that's going to come my way and I got to make sure I'm looking for it when it gets here. And so I love that because I think a lot of entrepreneurs, I think this is the reason the entrepreneur curse exists for lots of us is that we see an opportunity and it feels too good to pass up. One of the reality is that, you know, there's, there is another opportunity somewhere down the road. It may not, it may be five years down the road, but if we miss the boat one time, we shouldn't just act like that was the only boat that we're ever going to see. We should be looking for the next boats that are going to come our way. So I love what you've been able to put together and build. And man, as we're coming to the end of this podcast episode, I, I like to pretend I'm the pilot flying the stronger business podcast plane. And I always say this to Chad's just I have, now, I have now accepted the fate of the ending of this podcast for the rest of eternity. I say we're gonna I, I am no longer gonna complain or <laughs> talk about the lack of creativity or how can we please God come up with something else. I am here to land this plane land over the plane, and over Chad. and over. Chris told us earlier for the next hundred years. You gotta stay committed to one thing and not be trying to change it all the time. So we're gonna just land the plane. And how we land the plane, Chris, is that we ask our guest at the near the end of the episode about a max out moment. And what that means for us is again, it's a stronger business podcast. We're we're in the gym lifting weights. There comes a time where it's like, hey, we're gonna max out. We're gonna see what's in us. And so that max out moment is about sharing if they didn't listen to anything else we had to say today, but one point of truth that they could take with them that would make a difference in their life. What would that max out moment be from Chris? Well, we, we talked about timing and I'd, I'd like to actually end with that because if you understand the timing that, so in, in order to understand timing as a business person, how do people perceive you? What is your position in your business or about to be business and understand what the opportunity and the time. So t when I say timing, how much timing do you have to dedicate to it? But also what is the, what is the timing of your opportunity? If you could really start thinking about that, um, it could help you strategize and implement change in a way that maximizes your success. And I, I'm telling you, it, it, timing is a big part of, of, of uh, success. So for instance, if I were to start a podcast today, I would say, okay, right now there's a lot of people in a niche, but is there a niche that it's time has come and they're waiting for that show? And I would look for that to start there because the timing is right. So that's where, you know, it all comes back to, to timing and understanding, you know, time and place of what you're doing. That definitely helps us get stronger. And, and I'm going to ask you a question on top of that. You talked about if you were starting a podcast now, if you were starting a conference now, what would you do different? If somebody in our audience wanted to start a conference or hold an event right now, how, how would you differentiate that? 
So in the early years, I, um, what I would say is I would have done more barter deals in the beginning with bigger brands to get them comfortable with me because big companies always pay money. They actually feel uncomfortable bartering. I don't know if that makes sense, but they have deep pockets, but I would have built those relationships much sooner, even when I was small. And I would have, um, you can't go back in time, but I would have, I would have tried to figure out a way to have uh, more low cost options to bring a more, a bigger audience with me. Cause I probably would be double my size right now. But that being said, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at, but it's just, you always got to figure out the dynamics of a show. And for me, you know, more people and bigger sponsors help me accelerate the growth of what I do. Love it. Hey, and, and advice taken too, as me and Chad's asking that question, it's it's definitely wise counsel that you're offering to people who are willing to hear it and accept it. So we appreciate you being willing to share that with us. If you guys want to find Chris online, you can definitely check out podfestexpo.com. You can learn all about the next event coming, coming up. up in January, right? It's going to be amazing. And it's in a terrible location of Orlando, Florida. Who doesn't want to go to Orlando in January? So that's going to be amazing. So Chris, thank you so much, man, for being with us today, for sharing with Chad and myself and the Stronger Business audience. We appreciate you, man. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Chad. I appreciate it. All right. Until next time, guys, grow stronger, and we'll see you at the summit. If you enjoyed this episode of the Stronger Business Podcast, be sure to leave us a review and share it with a friend. You can find us online to connect at strongerbusiness.com or on Instagram and Facebook at Stronger Business. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll see you at the summit.